You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Shaw, and I want to uh, finish a few comments on uh, Nietzsche for the uh, political uh, philosophy considerations we've been doing. We talked yesterday about the uh, first uh, seven or so sections of Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, Let me uh, conclude here briefly with a few more points about the rest of the book. The seventh part of the Good and Beyond Good and Evil is entitled Our Virtues. Uh, It begins in a very uh, prophetic mode. He says, our virtues virtues are not those of our grandfathers. He says, we Europeans of the day after tomorrow, as this is Nietzsche now, uh, recall the subtitle of the book, that is saying the philosophy of the future. So we Europeans of the day after tomorrow, remember, he was writing this in the 1880s, so just before the 20th century. Um, most of the people who read this now, many will be born in the 21st century. So, we Europeans of the day of tomorrow, with all our dangerous uh, curiosity, our multiplicity, and our art uh, um, disguise, if we are to have virtues, we shall uh, presumably have only such virtues have uh such virtues that I've learned to get along with our most secret and heartfelt inclinations. We've had to make our own virtues. We've had to make our own virtues, so to speak. I remember uh, what Machiavelli did with the Italian virtue, uh, the Italian word virtu. That is to say, he completely transformed the Aristotelian notion of virtues about uh, uh, acting according to reason, uh, to acting uh, according to the uh, criterion of success uh, rather than the criterion of truth. So we last Europeans with good conscience. We too still wear, as this is Nietzsche now, we still to wear our, their grandfathers, uh, uh, their pigtails, the Chinese, uh, the thing the Chinese mandarins wore. Alas, uh, if only you knew how soon, how very soon it will be different. Number 214. So this is, remember, written uh, in the last of the the 1880s. Uh, The change in the 20th century is something that uh, uh, Nietzsche uh, sees and so, therefore, the virtues that he thought, the virtues of the fathers, were the cause of the issue. So he wanted to uh, invent a new ethic, a new understanding of virtues. So assuming that this was written about 1885, we can imagine how it would uh, strike uh, us in 1918 at the end of the Great War. Uh, still, the bloodiest war in history. 
the basic themes of Nietzsche are, as we saw, that God is dead, uh, the reversal of all values, that is say, what was formerly considered to be a virtue uh, is now considered to be a vice, uh, the herd man, again, the will to power, and the superman. They will appear again and again such ideas. Nietzsche considered all platonic and Christian morality to be a sign of weakness. <clears throat> it must be reversed, he thought, and then replaced in number 216. And he brings up the question, love our enemies? Yes, we learn to despise uh, when we love. So again, he's turning around the whole Christian ethos uh, to uh, signify the opposite um, of uh, this effort to love our enemies, he says, means really to despise them. Actually, the reversal, the reversals that Nietzsche comes up with, are quite familiar to us. Uh, might be quite familiar in the in the classics. <clears throat> Consider number two hundred nineteen. Moral judgment and condemnation uh, are the favorite forms of revenge of the spiritual limited, spiritually limited on those who are less so. Likewise, a form of <clears throat> compensation for those uh, having been neglected by nature. And finally, an occasion for acquiring a spirit and becoming a refined malice spiritualizes. Deep in their hearts, <clears throat> they are glad there exists a standard according to which they, uh, those overlord, overloaded with the goods and privileges of the spirit are their equals. They struggle for the equality of all before God, and it is virtually, uh, virtually just that purpose that they uh, need to, uh, that they need the belief in God. It is among their, it is among them, that the most vigorous opponents of atheism are to be founded. Basically, this says um, that morals are a sign of weakness. Men are not equal. The myth of equality before God is only a cover for the uh, deficiencies in nature. One opposes atheism out of fear of finding oneself not to be a superior or a superman. <clears throat> Remember Aquinas had said that the law is an exterior principle of action. Nietzsche says, a razor is alien to us. Let us uh, admit it to ourselves. What we itch for is uh, uh, the infinite, the unreason. Like a rider on a charging steed, we let fall the reins before the infinite. We modern men, he says, this is number 224, we modern men like uh, semi-barbarians and attain our state of bliss only 
when we are most in danger, the end of the quote. So again, that the only, thing that, the only criterion that we have that we want is the exhilaration from creating our own um, laws and our own movement. Remember that Machiavelli said that in the prince, that the prince should have uh, no other uh, concern than arms. Here, the very notion of having rules or measures is considered a sign of weakness, something Nietzsche uh, blames both Plato for and Christianity. Number 225 begins, We immoralists. Notice how it ends. So, so we immoralists, meaning those who associate themselves with Nietzsche's um, a reversal of all values. And then he says in 228, May I be forgiven the discovery that all moral philosophy hitherto has been uh, boring and soporific, and that virtue has, in my eyes, been harmed by nothing more uh, than it has been by the boringness of his advocates. End of the quote. So therefore, if the thing is boring, it must be immoral, uh, and therefore the question whether it's true or false or not is not something that he's willing to consider. He is talking about Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, Aquinas, of course, when he talks about the moral philosophy that is being rejected. Nietzsche is quite amusing about the English, indeed about all European peoples. In this passage, uh, he makes the famous English philosopher, um, he takes on the famous English philosopher Bentham, the utilitarian. And he takes on also Mill and Hume and Smith, even Locke, he says. Quote, he says, ultimately, they all want English morality to prevail inasmuch as mankind on the uh, or the greatest utility or the happiness of the greatest number. No. The happiness of England would best be secured, they would like, uh, with all their might to prove uh, to themselves that to strive after English uh, happiness is what they want, he said. I mean, after comfort and fashion and as the um, uh, supremest goal, the highest goal, a seat in Parliament, is that at the same time the true path of virtue, indeed, that all virtue there has ever been on earth has consisted in just such a striving, that is, they striving for prestige and, and fame. Uh, no one of all these ponderous herd animals, remember Nietzsche's herd man, that is, the people who follow what the other people do with no thought of their own, uh, with their uneasy conscience, who undertake to advocate the cause of egoism as the cause of their general welfare, and they want to know or or sense that the greatest welfare 
is not an ideal or a goal or a concept that can be grasped at all, but only an uh, aromatic or something that we have to get rid of. Uh, that what is right for one cannot be, uh, cannot by any means, therefore, be right for someone else. Uh, that the demand for one morality for all is detrimental to precisely the higher nature. In short, that there exists uh, an order of rank uh, between man and man, uh, consequently also between morality and morality, number 228. And what does that say? Uh, he wants to say that <clears throat> if you think that uh, all men are created equal and therefore have the same standard, uh, and therefore to be judged by the same standard, he said that, uh, that is boring and it's a sign of weakness. He said that there should be different moralities for different people, and therefore those people who can bear higher moralities to do what they want rather than what everybody else does, uh, they have a, a separate existence, so to speak. And uh, in the order of rank, they are higher than other men. So therefore, they become the superman and uh, the elite, uh, which is what Nietzsche is proposing. <clears throat> what does this passage say, then? That men are not equal and that there is no one standard of morals for all. The strong and the intelligent <clears throat> will have their own rules if they are to be if they are brave enough to will them into effect. <clears throat> this is why courage is so important to Nietzsche. That is the courage to defy all of other all of the other rules. Though it uh, too points to a standard, not just a rashness or cowardice. The eighth part is called Peoples and Fatherlands. It begins, and note this well, I have heard once again, for the first time, the overture of Richard Wagner uh, to the Meistersinger. It is uh, a magnificent, overladen, heavy, and late art, which has the pride to presuppose for its understanding that two centuries of music are still living. It is to the credit of the Germans that such a pride was not misplaced. Number 240. There's a long history between the relationship between Wagner and Nietzsche. As both Plato and Aristotle held, music uh, is also directly related to politics. The last line of this of a number uh, number 240 is the kind of music uh, best expresses what I consider true of the Germans. They are not of the day before yesterday and the day after tomorrow. They have as yet no today. Actually, Hegel said something like this also, that their day is not yet come. Remember, this is said in the 19th century. The old men had obviously grown uh, uh, heated as they thus 
uh, shouted their truths in the face of one another. I, however, as Nietzsche says, I, however, in my happiness and beyond, uh, considered how soon, how soon a, a stronger will becomes master of the strong, and also that when, that when one nation becomes spiritually shallow, there is a compensation for it. Another nation becomes deeper. In the end of the quote, a question in the discussion again of the rights of rise and fall of nature or of nations. And note that the stronger will become masters of the merely strong. In 224, he says, while the total impression produced by such future Europe will probably be that of multifarious, garrulous, weak-willed, and highly uh, employable workers who need a master, a commander, as they uh, need their uh, daily bread. While, therefore, the democratization of Europe will lead it uh, to a uh, to the production of a type prepared for slavery in the uh, subtlest sense. What I mean to say is that the democratization of Europe is at the same time an involuntary arraignment, arrangement uh, for the breeding of tyrants. Every sense of that word, including the most spiritual in the quote so do you follow the discussion of uniting europe or a european military force or a people rapidly declining in population as the case may be so nietzsche's uh, concern in a certain sense is with the dumbing down of european ideals in number 224, he says, the Germans are more incomprehensible, more comprehensive, and more full of contradictions, more unknown and more incalculable, more surprising, even more frightening to themselves than other peoples are. They elude definition and are, for that reason alone, the despair of the French. It is characteristic of the Germans that the question, what is German, never dies out among them. That is, they're always trying to figure out what their mission is, what their um, uniqueness is. And in 224, he continues, uh, German, uh, German, the German himself is not that he is becoming, he is developing. Development is thus a truly German discovery and lucky short in its uh, great domination of philosophical formulae. A ruling concept <clears throat> which in the concrete uh, with German beer and German music is at work at the uh, Germanization of Europe. Foreigners are astonished and drawn by the enigmas, which are the contradictory nature at the bottom of the German soul, 
uh, propounds to them, uh, which Hegel reduced to a system, and Richard Wagner uh, finally set to music. So uh, the, the essence of the Germans' uh, soul in a certain sense was found in Hegel's philosophy and in Wagner's music. He continues on thing. he said, Schumann, the composer, has uh, his piano concerto is one of the great is one of the greatest. And he was already a merely a German event in music, uh, no longer a European event, as Beethoven was, as uh, to an even greater extent Mozart had been. In him the German music was threatened uh, with its greater greatest danger in Schumann that is that of losing the voice for the soul of Europe and seeking and sinking into a merely a national affair, Liverpool. And number two in twenty seventy says in antiquity, when a man read, uh, which he did very seldom, he read to himself aloud, and indeed in a loud voice. It was a matter of surprise if someone read quietly, and people uh, secretly asked themselves, why did he do so? So you might think about that question, or that observation of Nietzsche, that in antiquity, even when a man was alone, he read out loud. And uh, that when you have a question of reading uh, solely, quietly, to yourself, as we do, uh, Nietzsche or the ancients thought uh, that there was something wrong with that. You might consider what that might mean. So in term number 252, then, uh, he says, there are no philosopher, philosophical race to English. Bacon signifies an attack on the philosophical spirit in, in general, and Hobbes and Hume and Locke a debasement and a devaluation of the concept philosopher uh, for more than a century. It was against Hume that Kant rose up, and it was Locke of whom Schelling uh, had a right to say, I hate Locke. And the struggle against the English mechanistic um, stultification of the world. Hegel and Schopenhauer were with Goethe of uh, one accord. It is characteristic of such unphilosophical race that they cling finally to Christianity. So he sees an opposition again between uh, Christianity and philosophy. Just the opposite of the thesis that we have been arguing. Finally, part nine is called What is Noble? The last part. And he says in number 227, every elevation of the type uh, man has hitherto been the work of an aristocratic society. And so it will always be. So you'll never have a um, mass, so to speak, uh, elevation of society all at once. It has to be done through individuals uh, and uh, a special situation. 
At 259, he says, life itself is essentially uh, an appropriation, uh, injury, overpowering of the strange and weak uh, suppression, severity, imposition of one's own forms, incorporation, and at least, uh, and milder exploitation. So the discussion of man is fallen as contained all these things in fact nature says is what goes on and then he says remember the title of this again chapter is called uh, what is noble what is uh, outstanding and he says uh, we who are truthful again Nietzsche speaks prophetically all the time we are truthful uh, we are the, the truthful and thus did the nobility of ancient Greece designate themselves. Uh, it was immediately obvious that designations of moral value were everywhere first applied to human beings and only later and derivatively uh, to actions. So what is noble is whatever the man did and then later it was what his actions were. Uh, which is why it is a grave error when moral historians start from such questions as why has the um, uh, compassionate action been praised? The noble type of man feels himself uh, to be the determiner of values. He does not need to be approved of the judging. What harms me is harmful in itself. He knows himself to be that which in general first accords honor to things. He creates values. So that is a very uh, good summary in a certain sense of Nietzsche's uh, independence of all reality that creates the real, because there's nothing that's true that went before, so he's going to create something else, and so therefore whatever the noble man says is going to be true. So he does not uh, discover uh, a truth or reality or virtue or nobility uh, as, as something that's already in our nature that we are made uh, good by God or something like that. No, he says it is basically modernity. That is to say, um, people that recall the chapter of modernity and the limits of political philosophy, it is that the human being creates his own values and creates his own laws and truth and criteria. Number 264, he says, the vain man uh, takes pleasure in every good opinion he has about himself, in the quotation. So, uh, it takes pleasure, the, the vain man, uh, kind of a cynical uh, combination, but of course that is, in a way, what a vain man does. And number 265, uh, he says, at the risk of annoying innocent ears, he said, I set this down that Egoism pertains to the essence of the noble soul. I mean, the immovable faith that to a being such as we are, other beings have to be subordinate by their nature. So again, that's a, again, a typical, if we come to the end of Nietzsche, it's kind of a typical thing um, that um, uh, he, he doesn't want to scandalize anybody. Uh, but the essence of the noble soul, as he called it, uh, is the uh, 
uh, confidence that he has uh, uh, that uh, whatever he does is is good, no matter what it is, and people should respect it or call it noble. Number 273 says the human being who strives for something great regards everybody he meets on the way either as a means or a delay or hindrance or as a temporary resting place, the other thing. Again, a very uh, denial of our relationship uh, to others as being the love of their good. And he says in 285, he says, the greatest events and thoughts, but the greatest thoughts are the greatest events as uh, and they are comprehended last. He said, the generation uh, which we are, their contemporaries, um, uh, do not experience such events. Uh, they live past them, in the course. So, the, so the greatest events and thoughts, but the greatest thoughts are the greatest events. So that, that's kind of notion, which is true in a way, that what changes the souls of their, what changes the structure of the external world is our thoughts. So therefore, the question is, if we're disordered in thoughts, we'll find a disorder in the in the polity. And of course, Nietzsche then thought that all ideas contrary to the polity would come from that. So then 227, he says, what is noble? Remember, the title of this section is What is Noble? Uh, what does the word noble mean to us today, he asked. What beneath this heavy overcast sky of the beginning rule of the rabble? So remember, his democratic uh, Europe, the rabble, uh, which makes everything uh, laden, leaden and opaque, uh, betrays and makes uh, evident the noble human being. He says, it is not his actions, the noble, which makes him great, it, uh, which reveal him. Actions are always uh, ambiguous, always unfathomable. Uh, neither is it his works. The mode of the noble soul has reverence for himself, in the course. A very striking thing. So we normally would think that the reverence we do have ought to be towards God, towards something worthy, which is not ourself. But if you're going to get rid of God and replace yourself, the noble self, but what is noble is that you have no other choice in a certain sense except recognizing yourself as a kind of a god. Uh, or, but Nietzsche wouldn't call himself a god, but a superman or a nobleman. And again, the word noble, of course, there used to mean, for Aristotle, it used to mean the practice of the virtue. Whereas here it is that it means the establishing of the virtue and the denial of any other competition. So then he says in 290, he says, every profound thinker is more afraid of being understood than of being misunderstood. In the quote. So why would that be? Well, it means if he's understood, it means that somebody else can understand him. And therefore, he is not as unique and noble as he thinks he is. And he has nothing but contempt for the notion that suffering uh, is uh, redemptive, which is the whole essence, in a way, of Christianity. And number 294, he says, I would go far, so far as to venture an order of rank among philosophers according to the rank of their laughter, uh, rising to those capable of golden laughter, 
And if the gods too philosophize, as many an influence has uh, driven me to suppose, I did not doubt <clears throat> that while doing so, uh, they also uh, know how to laugh uh, in a new and superhuman way, and at the expense of all serious things. God uh, are uh, fond of mockery. Uh, it seems they cannot refrain from laughter, even when sacraments are in progress, the end of the quote. Again, okay, a very uh, strange and, and uh, uh, but still insightful notion. So we've all had the notion of being in church and wanting to laugh uh, and couldn't laugh because it was improper. But here he's got the notion uh, more that um, uh, the, the gods uh, laugh at all of our uh, silliness. And so he says that the... Uh, uh, the gods philosophize, he says. So if gods philosophize, of course, that means that they too have to be uh, philosophers and not gods, uh, which is precisely the opposite. The gods don't philosophize, they already know, in a way. So in classical philosophy, the gods do not uh, philosophize. Men seek knowledge. Gods have knowledge. And then finally in 295, he said the very fact that Dionysius, who is a god of um, revelry and, and disorder in a certain sense, the Greek god, the very fact that Dionysius is a, this is Nietzsche now, is a philosopher, and that uh, gods too therefore philosophize, um, this seems, uh, seems to be by no means harmless, a harmless novelty, and one calculated to excite suspicion precisely among philosophers. Among you, my friends, it will meet <coughs> with a uh, friendly or reception, unless it comes too late and not at the right time. For, as I have discovered, you are no longer like us. Uh, you know, like you believe in God uh, and the gods now, the end of the quote. So that, again, he ends up with this kind of notion that the, the, belief that the belief that God, that God is dead, kind of a thing that these people no longer believe in God and therefore are waiting for someone, the Superman, to come by and supply them with some kind of reason for existence. But they're not brave enough to do so, so you have to therefore look at this man who has the courage to do so and therefore create his own laws, of which he himself is the only criterion of. So finally, in several uh, uh, respects, the gods could all uh, benefit uh, from the instructions of human beings. Uh, we human beings are more humane, he said. That is, uh, we are in some sense gods. And the last words of the last par paragraph uh, are worth taking attention to. So that this is the reading are beyond good and evil, a very provocative, uh, difficult, yet striking book, uh, one that uh, sums up what is wrong with much modern philosophy and opens up and predicts in a certain way uh, what will take its place. And what will and has taken its place, in sense, is a uh, belief that there is no order in nature, that man can 
put into effect whatever he wants to do, and that therefore um, that everyone can uh, do what he wants to do, and is the function of the state uh, simply to uh, allow him to do that. But the state itself ends up by being the arbiter of what is right, and therefore uh, ends up by creating itself a kind of a, an independent power. So that Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil is a very symbolic book, as one that we should read carefully, and you'll find it to be both delightful, disturbing, and quite informative. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.